1: Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder.
2: And I'm Joel Grote. And once again, we are delighted to bring you a guest with their own unique experiences and story. And this is really exciting for me because I've known John Mansell for, wow, well over 10 years. But what's really exciting for me is that John is also one of our mentors who now helps other transitioning Mormons in their transition process and so has a real heart for people, a real heart for God. And so we're excited to, John, have you with us. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much.
3: It's so such a pleasure to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
2: So where we'd like you to start is well with uh what lynn was going to say because she was about to jump in so i'm gonna let her
1: no it's all right i didn't i didn't want to give it away right up front but i heard something special about your story that you were a mormon bishop at one point
2: yeah and so i was going to ask john um so just fill us in a little bit on your spiritual background um how you grew up your connection Mm -hmm. Um, with Mormonism because we'd like people to know what connection people had with their performance-based religion ahead of time and what that was like and yeah just kind of walk us through your story. Sure, thank you
3: very much. Um, So I uh, grew up in the Mormon Church. Um, In fact, I'm a third-generation Mormon Uh, but during my childhood I would say that we were more semi-active. We would go uh, to church regularly for periods of time and then we wouldn't go again and uh, that's the way it was pretty much uh, all throughout my teenage years. But as I was starting to get closer to the age of going on a Mormon mission, I became more active at that point with the idea. I mean, I'd known since I was eight years old that this was my plan. And at eight, you know, you get baptized to be uh, a member of the Mormon church. And uh, my parents uh, at my baptism gave me a bank and I started saving my little quarters. uh, So I would be ready for my (laughs) mission. That's great.
1: Were you in Utah, John?
3: No, I grew up here in the Atlanta area. Uh, just west of Atlanta. In the mission field. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Um, And so, you know, just as I, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of depth to uh, my uh, spiritual beliefs as a teenager. I mean, I I knew a little bit about uh, my Mormon beliefs, and I remember um, the job that I had just to save up for my mission just before I was about to go. Um, One of the uh, ladies that I worked with, knew that I was a Mormon, knew that I was preparing to go on my mission. And uh, I remember her asking me, well, what do you think about uh, the uh, Mormon practices of polygamy? And it wasn't something that I knew a whole lot about. Um, In fact, I had only heard of it, but uh, never really dug into it. And, you know, I, I tell you this part of the story becomes, uh, it becomes a little more relevant later in my life. Um, I went home and I thought about it. And then, you know, I, I, read, I thought, well, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all have plural wives. Yep. So if, if they have plural wives, then, you know, how could we say that Mormons are going to go to hell because they practice the same thing that these prophets of old did? And that's the way I really reconciled it in my mind without, you know, as a 19, 18 or 19 year old, you don't really go too depth into the background of whether God permitted it or not. But anyway, that was how I justified it in my mind. And then, uh, you know, I, Sent off my papers and got my um, uh, invitation to go to Venezuela uh, on my mission. And uh, Joel, I think you, you also did.
2: Yeah, my parents were missionaries, evangelical, not more missionaries, All but right. they were uh, Baptist missionaries in Venezuela. So that's where I grew up. So from age 12 to 18, that's where I lived.
3: Well, hopefully you undid some of the work that I <laughs> left behind. <there. laughs> Anyway, um, so I came back uh, from my mission in um, 1990 and uh, began dating my wife, who uh, was also in the Mormon church. Uh, she had similar background. I think she's second-generation Mormon, uh, but um, no, she's also third-generation herself. But um, she had grown up inactive, and uh, through my sister, she had really become active in the Mormon church and uh, had gotten baptized at the age of 15. Um, so she and I dated for, uh, 18 months, I think. And then, um, uh, we got married in the Atlanta temple and, you know, our life plan was to, uh, raise a celestial family. And you know what that means, uh, Lynn, uh, mm-hmm. from having been in a Mormon church yourself. So, and I um, think I was in
1: that Atlanta temple one of the first weeks it was open. Yeah.
3: Yeah. In fact, uh, my social studies teacher in junior high, uh, he, uh, he took us on a field trip to the open house. I don't know how he got away with that, but he was also a Mormon at the time. One oh, well. of the very few in the uh, in the you know West Georgia area. Not many, but yeah. Well, well. But anyways, so mm-hmm. so um
2: so your mission, um in Venezuela, successful? What? How did that impact your commitment to Mormonism? What you learned? Anything? Anything happen on your Mormon mission that may have sowed some seeds for the future?
3: Uh, you know, it, it really begins, um, in the missionary training center in Provo. Uh and mm-hmm. you know, again, I, I, came into my mission with very little depth to my beliefs and, um, you know, meeting general authorities who would come through and speak at the MTC and, uh, you know, just, just hearing from them, it, um, you know, my Mormon beliefs really started to be built from there. Mm-hmm. And of course, as a missionary, you're taught to teach the basics of, uh, of Mormon beliefs. Um, and so, those were the foundational teachings that I needed to be a good uh, Mormon. Uh, but yeah, going to Venezuela, I was there from uh, 88 until 1990. It was a very successful uh, mission. I had quite a number of uh, converts to the church.
2: So got married shortly after getting back from your mission, uh, meeting yep. Shannon. So
3: then, yeah. you know, tell us about your life going forward. Yeah, so my, my life was, you know, of course you've got your family that you're trying to start and you've got your career, but for a Mormon, the, one of the key things in your whole life is your community, your church community. And Shannon and I, that was our hundred percent focus. We didn't want our children to grow up with this on and off again activity in the church. We wanted them to always, you know, have had that background and depth that we, neither one of us had had. Um, and, you know, we accepted every single calling that came our way. Um, uh, I was elders quorum president, uh, We were quite active, I would say very active in the church. And then um, in uh, 1997, my company uh, moved me down to South Georgia to the city of Brunswick, uh, five hours away from home and leaving all of our friends and family here. And it was, you know, it was a difficult thing to leave everything and go there. But um, it was in Brunswick where God will begin to make the moves to bring me to where I am today. So um it was in brunswick when, i think uh, one of the first jobs i had inside of the church uh was um, in brunswick georgia was uh with uh teaching seminary and seminary for those who don't know is uh for high school students they go one hour before class or in some states they get released from class uh from school to go to this Um, religious teaching where you're taught one of the uh, books of scripture each year. So one day I had the uh, area director of the church educational system came and sat in on my class. And um, afterwards he said, John, I would like for you to consider uh, becoming a full-time employee with the church and moving out to uh, the Midwest. I think in Arizona and some of those states, they have the release and they wanted me to become a full-time seminary teacher. But something weird was happening i I just didn't feel like that was what i should do Mm -hmm. and um, you know i I had a decent job and um, this would have been a huge life change for us but we were fine with that it was all about our faith but uh, i just felt like i shouldn't do that and so i i declined about that time uh, a few months later the uh, they made some changes in the leadership in our ward um, and um, asked me to become a counselor to the bishop and this is where my story really begins uh, because it was you know, maybe a year later after becoming a counselor um, to, to the bishop in Brunswick, Georgia, that uh, someone came to me with a teaching that I just wasn't familiar with. Again, I had taught seminary um, for a number mm-hmm. of years, and people thought that I really knew this stuff. And I was pretty confident I did, too. But they brought to <laughs> me uh, this teaching that's called the Adam-God Doctrine. And I said, well, I don't know anything about it, so let me do a little research on it, and then I'll come back to you. And so um, you know, I went away um, and started doing research online and found where Brigham Young had taught this Adam God doctrine. Um, And uh, Joel, I I think I mentioned to you once before that I brought something home to my wife. Well, that was it. I brought it home to her and said, you won't believe what I found. Look what Brigham Young taught. Um, And she was very disturbed, but not so much with the fact that um, Brigham Young had taught this doctrine, but that I was questioning. Um, And she was more
2: concerned about the fact that you were concerned about what Brigham Young had taught.
3: (laughs) Yes, right, exactly. And, you know, just, just for clarity, what the Adam God doctrine is was uh, for a long period of time. And I think it was for about 30 years, Brigham Young taught this doctrine. And to quote him, he said, Adam is our God, the only God with which we have to do. And, um, you know, I found the, you know, a lot of several documents that were, like the millennial star uh, publication of the mormon church during that period of time where journal
2: discourses yeah that's
3: right yeah where it's you know he, he without question taught this doctrine and um you know if if he's a prophet of god um um either he's right about that that adam is our god or he taught a false doctrine and so how do you reconcile that and so that was pretty much the very first time that i began to question not just doctrine, but a leader in, in the church. Um, you know, just trying to chase that down and reconcile what I felt about, uh, him having taught that I found that in, um, I think it was in November of 1976, Spencer W. Kimball, who was prophet of the church then, um, he referenced that in a talk that he gave and he said that it was, uh, a, uh, former doctrine that was alleged to have been taught by former leaders of the church, but it's certainly something that they no longer believe, so if, or it's nothing that the church considers doctrine, so the question then is, which prophet is right? Is it the prophet who taught that Adam was God, or is it the prophet who said that this is false doctrine, and they can't both be uh, true prophets, or, you know, one teaching a doctrine that the other says is false?
2: Yeah, and that, that does, that raises serious issues, and that's been something that has been troubling because it is so well documented. Like you say, he taught it for somewhere between 30 and 50 years of his life. So it's not something that's one off. Lynn?
1: I just wondered if you if the person who came to you questioning if you ever had an answer for them, how many times do we talk to LDS, right? And they say, I went straight to my bishop or I went straight to my leaders, and I asked them this question, and they didn't have an answer except for, go to the temple more, read your Book of Mormon, and pray, right? Yeah,
3: and th- this person, certainly, I, I talked to them, you know, after everything else unraveled in my life spiritually, but, um, and I said, hey, you know, it all began with this, and, and, and this person is very distraught about it, and to be honest, doesn't believe in the Mormon church, but because her husband is in the, the leadership of the church, um. or was at the time, uh, there was no way that she was going to leave. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult position to be in. And and you recall that I mentioned uh, my question prior to going on my mission about uh, polygamy and reconciling that in my yes. mind. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I, I I tried to do the exact same thing with with this Adam God doctrine. Uh, and before I'd gotten to the answer, you know, the that uh, Spencer W Kimball had re- refuted it, but. Um, in my mind, uh, the way that I reconciled it was um, in the Mormon church, uh, there is the, the teaching of exaltation that we too can become gods. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, in fact, uh, Mormon, teaches, Mormon doctrine teaches that God was once a man just like us. And Lynn, you probably know uh, uh, Lorenzo Snow's adage was, uh, it, correct me if I get it wrong, it was as man now is, God once was, and as God now is, man may become. And yeah. so in my mind, I said, well, if, if that's true, um, if we can become gods, then that Adam, a man, could have been God to us, maybe that that's possible. That um, was still unsettled about it, however. Right.
2: Inside. And you still have the other prophet saying, well, this is a false theory, you know, or false doctrine. He's denounced it. So then it's like, well, okay. So where did that, did that open the door for more research? What?
3: Yeah, well, um, so it just, in fact, um, you know, Shannon was distraught about what I had showed her, and uh, so she was so bothered by that that I didn't tell her anything else from there, there on. <laughs> I just, I Uh-oh. said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out in my mind, and then uh, either it'll just go away or something. Uh, about that time, the, the church in Brunswick, Georgia, had grown, and they were getting ready to divide the church into two new wards. And so they came to me, uh, the state president, and um, in an interview asked me if I would become the uh, bishop of the, of the ward. Now, you know, I, I knew, I'm right in the point of my life where I've been troubled by this Brigham Young thing, the Adam God doctrine. And, and uh, he asked me in the interview, he said, have you had any indication that this was going to happen? And I said, well, I'll, to be honest with you, I've gone through probably one of the biggest spiritual battles of my life. I was getting ready to tell him all about it. And he said, don't worry, that was Satan just trying to uh, lead you astray. And, um, I said, well, okay, maybe, maybe he's right. Um, and so I kind of uh, swept it aside and thought, well, let me just put that away. Um, I still believe, uh, in the Mormon church, um, in the doctrine. And so I'm going to continue being a Bishop. And, you know, just like I had reconciled polygamy years before, I thought that that was it for the Brigham Young thing. Um, but um, what I didn't see um, was that that thread. So my, my life was a tapestry that was three generations old of Mormonism that you know had a lot of different color to it. And um, but there was a loose thread. And what what I didn't see until years later was that that thread was being pulled not by me, uh, but it was God. Um, Joel, I think in one of your first podcasts mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned that God is the pursuer in the relationship. Yes. And I didn't see God uh, in this. In fact, a lot of people, uh, told me, you know, as I was going through my exit house, Satan was behind all this, but, um, but I would see later on the journey that I was on and the whole time it was God. Um, yeah. so I became the bishop <laughs> <So cool>. in <laughs> I became the bishop in, uh, 2002, my August, I think. And, um, tried to put these doubts aside and just be a good bishop, but I still had this unsettled feeling in my, in my mind uh, about Brigham Young and questioning whether I felt you know that he was a true prophet or not. And so um, I knew uh, that what I needed to do was to settle in my mind that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, because if Joseph Smith was a true prophet, then I had to accept the rest of it. Mm. And so I began to uh, do a lot of research into the, the life of uh, Joseph Smith. And uh, Joel, I think it was during that period of time when I'm going out looking for resources uh, that I encountered Mormons in Transition, one of the uh, groups uh, that is uh, uh, was foundational in uh, IR. Right, your, and that's one of the segments of our
2: website. Our segment on Mormonism is labeled Mormons in Transition. So yeah, uh,
3: they were so helpful to me, and you know there there were other men, uh, other groups out there of people who have left Mormonism, and um, and a lot of them that I found just wanted to abandon their faith entirely of God. And I I wasn't there. Um, I needed someone who was biblically based, who respected the fact that I am still a believing Mormon, but just have questions and could help me and guide me. And a lot of these people were, um, people who like me now, uh, that had gone through this experience that I was going through and were just pointing me to resources and helpful information to guide me through, through this. But so, you know, trying to reconcile in my mind, uh, that Joseph Smith was a prophet. I, I thought that this was going to be an easy job. I already knew he was a true prophet. <laughs> I believed in the book of Mormon. Uh, but when, once God starts pulling those threads, you know, I, I just began to find more and more. So I dug into the life of Joseph Smith that, um, you know, his, um, uh, his teachings, um, on, on polygamy, for example, I knew that I had trouble with that earlier in life, but I didn't know about the polyandry side of it, that he was married to other women who were married at the same time, uh, to other men. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, there's just so much about his life and practices that the, the more I tried to hold on to my faith, it felt like trying to hold water in a clenched fist. It just was pouring through my fingers. So, um, you know, I, what What I thought would be the journey of solidifying my beliefs by studying Joseph Smith, it was what I probably destroyed what was left of it.
2: So while you're doing all this, where is Shannon? At what point do you bring her into the story? You already know she's not happy with your previous research.
3: Yeah. So again, I'm not talking to her much uh, about what's going on spiritually in my life. And, um, you know, it, it won't be until a few months later that, she gets to hear this end of this story of what's been going on, but the whole time she could see that in, in some ways I, I'm withdrawn from her. Um, I'm not talking okay. to her as much, uh, but I'm going through the biggest spiritual battle of my whole life. And I've really got nobody to talk to. And in fact, she thought I was cheating on her. I didn't know that. Uh, oh, until that yes. the story. Uh, my husband's
2: both- being withdrawn. He's not talking to me. Well, and who does the Bishop talk to? I mean, as you know, as the bishop, who are you allowed within the Mormon system to confide in if you do have questions or doubts?
3: Well, I don't know that you have really have anyone. I mean, if you can't talk to your spouse, and 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 you know, sometimes, I, I you know, I, I've had uh, people that I've mentored through your program, uh, Joel, that. Um, have had an open relationship and being able to talk to their spouses about what's going on. And for some, it's just so hard to do that when you've got one believing member and one questioning or non-believing and, and you know, and they pull apart in some cases and, and you, know, I, yeah. I, you, you know, we work to try and, and keep them together. But you're right. Um, as a bishop, I had no one to talk to. I couldn't talk to the leadership of the church um, and I certainly couldn't tell anyone in my ward, maybe extended family, but I didn't want
2: them to know that I was questioning yeah. either. Mm-hmm. Because, well, Lynn, I think you've seen this too, that there's really not, uh, I was going to say ambiente, that's the Spanish word, John, will get that. There's not an atmosphere, there's not a context for struggling with doubts um, within the Mormon context, especially for people in leadership. I, have you run across that with other people you've talked to?
1: Yeah, it must have been lonely, John. Yeah. And on the, and and on the flip side of
2: that, you're not supposed to be doubting. And you certainly don't talk openly if you are having doubts or struggles about the legitimacy of the leadership or of the Mormon church of Joseph Smith.
1: Well, not- I didn't even, in Utah, in, in Utah, I did not even have relationships um, with my mormon neighbors all my neighbors were mormon and i was not going to confide in anybody about anything very nice on the surface kind of the social relationships but no no authenticity because i would not have trusted to um, talk about a weakness or something i struggled with or Mm. that's very counterintuitive to mormon culture You're exactly right, especially if you're in a leadership position, everything has to be fine,
3: right, John? It is. And in fact, I'm, as a bishop, I'm the ones people are supposed to to come to when they have doubts and questions. So who do you go to? But, you know, and and I think ministries such as uh, both of you have a ministry that, um, you know, support those who are going through difficulties such as I went through. Um, And it was that ministry, that really helped me. I mean, I needed somebody that I could talk to who would be respectful mm-hmm. of where I was and guide me. And uh, so that's why it's so important, I think, to have a mentoring program or to find someone who's gone through that and who can respect where you are and, and guide you along. Otherwise, people don't have anyone to open up to. And
2: So you as an LDS Bishop, you're turning to all these people who are either transitioning themselves or are former Mormons in the MIT group to say, hey guys, what do I do with this? What, what was the sort of advice you got? I mean, how, how did they walk along with you to help you through that? I mean, obviously you got to the point where you did eventually leave, you're not in now. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how yeah. that worked out with you, how that happened?
3: So it, they were kind of my sounding board when I would find something, you know, such as, uh, you know, some of these challenges I had with Joseph Smith's practices or teachings, you know, I would come to the group and say, what do you think about this? And they would either point me to, you know, some, in fact they always pointed me to the bible that bible had all the answers for them and you know and really uh, it did and you know I, growing up the bible was kind of a resource when you just needed to prove one other point in your mormon beliefs it wasn't a resource a primary resource for you and so uh, they began to point me to scripture and to god's word and um you know the, when i come to the point of my exit story uh, of uh you know meeting with state presidents to leave um, what I learned uh, through MIT and, and relying on God's word was the one defense I needed uh, to be able to go through uh, through that experience. So just
1: oh, why did you trust it?
3: So they would talk about some of those resources or where you could find this in journals of discourses or history of the church, which was so important to me because if the church was going to be proven false, it couldn't because someone else who was uh, an antagonist of the church said so it had to come in my mind, straight from LDS Resources, and um, certainly through MIT, it, it, it fell apart through uh, you know, the history of the church, journals of discourses, and through scriptures, so they were pointing me to resources that I really knew that I could confide in, and if somebody points you to the Word of God, how, how do you say no to that, so I certainly knew that I could trust, <laughs> trust what they were saying. During that period of time, from the time I became a bishop, and so that was in August of 2002, until December, trying to hold on to my beliefs i quit believing in everything I, I i came into december not just as a bishop but i didn't even believe in the jesus of mormonism and i didn't even believe in the scripture so now all i have is this basic belief that there is a god that's all i knew wow mm.
2: and that that happens so often doesn't it lynn that there's yeah, something and about that
1: I've, I've heard former mormons say i knew he existed but i ignored him for a time mm. right i was afraid to hear from him i didn't know how to trust how to hear from him mm. i just knew there was a god
2: yeah, yeah. all right but so we're gonna end the podcast with john as a mormon bishop whose wife doesn't have any idea his leadership i'm sure doesn't have any idea but at this point he's pretty much lost faith faith in everything except for like he said okay there is a god out there Wow, that's got to be a lonely, unsettled place to be, and we're going to leave you there until the next episode. <laughs> so, listeners, thanks for being a part of the podcast. John, thanks for sharing your story this far. We want to encourage you. There'll be a part two with John. Excited Lynn, any to final hear words? the
1: rest. Yeah. now just grace and peace to you until next time.
2: So
0: long.